listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Four decades and counting, uh, Mike Krzyzewski announcing he is retiring after the upcoming season. The longtime legendary Duke head basketball coach, five-time national champ, uh, calling it a day after the 2021-2022 season. So I'm I'm probably not going to have anything special to say except maybe one thing, which is let's not forget that before they beat UNLV – and that great UNLV team, a team that really here in Vegas, there's still so much reverence for. Larry Johnson, Greg Anthony on that team, uh, Stacey Ogman, and undefeated going into the semis. They were nine-point favorites against Duke. You don't always see that line around because it wasn't actually in Nevada at the time. Uh, you weren't able to bet Nevada games in Nevada but the line was other places, and it was nine in that game. And at the time, Coach K had just gotten blown out, the worst blowout, I think, in history in the finals the year before against UNLV. And Coach K had never won a title and was known. Now, this you got to be kind of older to remember this. As a guy that had good teams, they just couldn't win at all. Obviously, that changed the, the, the year they beat UNLV in the semis. And it changed four additional times, as Jonas said. That's one. I think number two, let's give him even more credit for being able to transition Coach K into the one-and-done era. Uh, a lot of coaches, you know, guy like Bobby Knight, some say one of the best coaches of all time. I would tend to agree with that. He had trouble transitioning as the game changed. Uh, Coach K didn't. And give him credit. Last thing I'll say is last year, there was a great interview. I thought one of the best interviews of the year on The Herd, Colin talking to Coach K. And one of the things that really struck me in that interview was Coach K seemed mm, uh, disengaged, maybe. Or certainly he wasn't enthusiastic about the direction of college basketball. And I, I wasn't going to you know, predict, oh, this is going to be his last year. But if you go back and listen to that interview, he, there really was kind of a, a lament of, of the time that had passed and, and the era that had passed and what college basketball had become. And to me, it really perked up my ears to what degree Coach K didn't seem enthusiastic. And now we're seeing the final season upcoming. Jonas, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I just, uh, he's the greatest college basketball coach of my lifetime. And it's funny you mentioned that uh, Duke-UNLV game. I didn't even... So I, when I started really watching college basketball, it was the early 90s, and I wasn't even aware of Duke getting blown out by UNLV because I just recall them beating them in the, in the semifinal the following year and then beating Kansas, and he won the back-to-back titles, and then they were off and running. And I remember the first time I saw that he had actually lost to UNLV in that final the year before, I was at a thrift store with my mom, and there was a, <laughs> there was a T-shirt on the rack, and it was a T-shirt from that game, and it had the the score, UNLV beating them by 30, 
And I just remember rethinking my entire thought about UNLV and Coach K because all that I had known is that he had beaten UNLV and they were off and running and winning these national titles. I wasn't even aware that they had met up before, but the first time I saw it was at a thrift store. And just to see all these years later, you know, adapt or die, winning in different eras, winning with different players, with different strategies. And then on top of that, the three gold medals going on in coaching professionals to gold uh, at the Olympics. I just, he's one of the all-time greats in any sport no doubt about it and think about it you had just been crushed crushed by UNLV now you're a nearly double digit underdog in the semis against pretty much the same team yeah and an undefeated team and the idea that if they had lost that game you know, who knows what would have happened? I mean, Coach K would have, wouldn't have been fired, but I mean, maybe that he wins two titles instead of five. Meaning, you know, that one game obviously dictated so much. And it goes to show you is even there's a lot of Duke disdain out there because they seem in many ways privileged and they win all the time and it's an expensive school and, you know, high academic standards. But remember, they were big underdogs. And they won that game. And to this day, I'm telling you right now, if you would say in Las Vegas, amongst the old timers, which basketball game has been discussed in the last 365 days, I bet that UNLV Duke game is the third most discussed game. I'm I'm talking about all the games that got played this year, last year. It still is discussed at the diners and because the case could have been made. And to this day, there's still you know people that say outside of Nevada that UNLV team could have been the best basketball team of all time, even though they didn't win it. They were that highly regarded. To just think back-to-back with the second being undefeated, and uh, Greg Anthony got in foul trouble. And the funny thing was that <laughs> I still remember there was a guy I knew that made gigantic bets and uh, he, he had all the money on UNLV. And after, he's like, the, the Tark, Tark fixed that one. He fixed it. <laughs> no, no indication of that at all. But, uh, yeah. it was. I mean, you think about it. The UNLV game, or check that, the Villanova-Georgetown game in 85, that line was about nine. So as much as that is considered one of the great upsets in the history of college basketball – Duke over UNLV was right in range of that. Yeah, I uh, just an incredible run, incredible career. And then, look, he also got – there were a couple of heartbreaking losses as well, too, when he got to the – so just the five that he won, but there were a couple other appearances where, you know, they were in contention. Arkansas beat him. I think it was in 94. That was Grant Hill's final year. Um, UConn beat him later on. So just a, a legendary career, uh, and now he, uh, he moves on. And it was also a guy that was rumored – back in the day that he was up for the Lakers job, that he was yep, seriously yep. considering, you know, going and coaching the Lakers. Kobe, Kobe Bryant had yep. a great relationship with Mike Krzyzewski. It said he would have gone to Duke had he had gone to college, um, but he ended up staying at Duke. I think he won a couple of more national titles there, and, and you know, the rest was history. And it will be fascinating because, let's be candid, last year was a disaster for Duke. Yeah. And if they go out anywhere like that, boy, it's going to be like uh, not a minute too soon. I, I think obviously his legacy is not at stake, but 
the 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 last sentence of the bio is at stake, or maybe not the last. The, let's say the last sentence of the next to last paragraph, right? There'll be the wrap up paragraph. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Mackenzie, we've got the ATS data, and that's always the way. Hey, did a team exceed expectations? Uh, going back to what two thousand four. 2005. 2005. So how did Coach K and Duke do from 2005 through last year? 51% ATS, 78% against um, straight up in his time at Duke. All right, so his entire time at Duke, 78% straight up. That's about 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. And <laughs> just above 50%, 51. Now, 51 doesn't seem great, but when you're a team that has so much of a pedigree and and – so many fans to go over 50%, that actually is quite impressive because there's usually going to be about a point of extra, you know, there's going to be a premium on Duke. The fact that they covered over 50% is really impressive. Okay, I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So let's look at Danny Ainge, or specifically, let's look at Stevens. Uh, McKenzie did a good job uh, digging back into the database. So from seven years as head coach, against the spread, counting playoffs, counting regular season, where does the Celtics rank during Stevens' tenure? Number one in the NBA during Stevens' tenure. Number one. And what was the ATS record? 53.3%. So think about that. If you had 52.38 is break even against the minus 110 VIG. So literally, if you would have said, this Stevens fellow, you know, he looked good at Butler. And I think that's going to transfer <laughs> to the NBA. And he's just got intelligent eyes. I'm going to bet the Celtics every game blindly. You would have made money. And very rarely over seven seasons is that going to be the case. If The fact that they're the number one team. So not only did they have a good straight-up record, you know, it wasn't the best, but good. They exceeded the Celtics' expectations more than any other team during his tenure. That, to me, at least from the Vegas perspective, is about as well as you can do. Now, let's go back, McKenzie, to Danny Ainge's longer tenure. How did the Celtics rank? Eighth straight up, eighth against the spread. Okay, so if you take out, you know what you can do for me? Go from Danny Ainge's till Stevens began and just look at those years and tell me how where he ranks. Because I'm thinking if they were first from seven years and eighth over the whole time, it's going to be even worse than eighth, Jonas. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, that, I'm just, that would be my guess as It's well kind of the SAT kind of thing. So, uh, Although he did, there, there were those title teams, those uh, you got to include the yeah. team and then the NBA Finals team in, in 2010. So that'd be curious to see. But, but remember now, this Vegas spreads the great equalizer. So when you have a big three like they had, you know, there probably were seasons they uh, got to the finals or um, even won it that they didn't even have a winning record against the spread. That happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, remember, the great story is how the Patriots, the year they started and went ultimately undefeated till the Super Bowl, they started 8-0. And they were, I think, 8-0 against the spread or very, very good against the spread. 
Then the rest of the year, there were 10 additional games, and they were like one eight and one against the spread. And I'm going by memory there, but it was a horrible. So think about it. You're eight and oh, and if a little futuristic person said, a little Martian jumped on your shoulder and he said, they're going to go, you know, seven or six, I guess it would be 18 and oh to the Super Bowl. You'd think I'm betting them, you know, obviously you'd bet the money line, but the idea that you'd hardly win a bet the rest of the year, it, it shows you how the spread really is the great equalizer. Now, we do have some odds on the next Celtics coach, and these came out very quickly. So, right now, the top assistant on the Celtics is that Larange? How do you pronounce that, Jonas? Is that a uh, Larinaga? I believe. Larinaga. Okay, yeah. there you go. Larinaga is the favorite, three to one though, and then you have Jason Kidd, five to one, Chauncey Billups, six to one. Lloyd Pierce six to one, and Sam Cassell seven to one. So, I, I mean, I, yes, there, there's a couple of Celtic ties. Sam Cassell was on the staff that won the title, or, or no, he was was he on the team or the staff? Yeah, I think he was on the team that won the title in 2008. And then Chauncey Billups, they drafted mm-hmm. uh, Chauncey Billups. So um, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I just I wonder how desirable of a job that is, considering you've got the former head coach who had you know really good success there, who's now your boss, knowing that that could be looming at any at any point. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of like Miami, right? So, yeah, true. And uh, Spolster has, I, I think, obviously done an excellent job. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, best coach in the league right now. It, it is interesting how Steven Stock had dropped. Um, now, the idea, you know, of him losing his job or whatever, I didn't think was even possible or reasonable, but... Uh, the idea that, that a couple years ago there was a sense that it was Popovich, but he was kind of dropping off and then going up with Stevens, the new blood, the new generation. And you know what? I think what we saw from Stevens, and maybe this speaks to the front office might be better for him, is today in the NBA, it's not just X's and O's for a head coach. How do you manage superstars that quite frankly have more power than you yeah i mean if you look at the nets and uh and and obviously a former player there and 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 it seems to be going great but the prior coach there was and i forget his name right now he was very well regarded i'm, I'm sure you remember yeah it's uh oh god um kenny atkinson yes yes yeah, kenny thank atkinson, you yes. uh he was considered to be one of the best technicians in the game but the players just didn't like him and it, so it was like you're out so in a way stevens had more you know obviously more power than that but the ability to manage these egos because you're 22 years old 23 you sign a max deal, you're making 30-plus mil, and quite frankly, almost all of those players have been the stars of their towns, of their schools since they were 12, 10, 12 years old. That is a different skill set. The Popovich kind of do, you know, play, play tough with them. You know, I'm not even sure that would have lasted as long as it did without Duncan. You know, there's been a lot of talk that ever since Duncan 
left and retired, the Spurs, not only did they lose him on the court, but do you think Kawhi would have left if Duncan was still there? So, And Kawhi did leave. I mean, if you think about it, whatever Popovich has done since, having Kawhi leave was the biggest thing to happen to the Spurs. And it just strikes me, Stevens, as a former college coach, navigating these massive egos, maybe not his greatest skill set. Yeah, and, and I also think that I don't know that he had a star his entire time as head coach there up until Jason Tatum, who's becoming a flat-out superstar in the league with just some of his performances. So, I mean, you could say Kyrie Irving, but, you know, that I wouldn't really necessarily call that a success. He was in and no, out. No. And it would, yeah, and, and it's so... Just to to see what he was able to accomplish, you know, without really a, a genuine star at any point, and then what he took over, and it was a full blown rebuild. They stripped it all down. They got a bunch of draft picks, traded it away. I just think, you know, if anybody's going to argue whether or not it was a successful run, I I think it was a success. Even though there was no finals appearances, what he was able to do, I I still think he had a ton of success. Oh, I agree, but I I would say this: the trend line had flattened out and yes. was, it was probably Agreed. going the other way. Yeah. Not that it was going where it was below average, but it had reached a height. And in general, if you would have said, what is, because think about, and this goes more to Ainge as if maybe even more, but if you think about it, they, they've missed on three or four and some of it was injury. And, and now it looks like another injury situation, but uh, you know, really it's very possible the only assets that are going to matter on Boston come the start of next year that are currently there are Brown and Tatum. Yeah. And, you know, anyone else there is probably doesn't move the needle. And that is much considering how they've developed to be in a situation where what the Celtics will be probably the 10th favorite, the ninth favorite next year to win the title. That's got to be disappointing. If if you would have said Tatum's moving to be a top seven player, which he is, Brown top 20, uh, the idea that there's nothing else there, that isn't Stevens as much, but it certainly has been a disappointment. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. L.A. finds themselves down three games to two after a 30-point loss to Phoenix last night. Okay, Mackenzie, we got two questions. One, what is the status? And I'm going to ask both questions. What is the status of Chris Paul beyond the official status? And number two, what do we have as the current series price in this matchup? So Chris Paul's status, he is officially probable. But beyond that, Monte Williams says he's very optimistic about his uh, being able to be 100% or close to it in Game 6. The series price, the Suns are now minus 285. The Lakers take back plus 215. All right, so the imputed odds say Suns' chance of advancing is? Uh, one second, we got that right here. Lakers are 30%, Suns are 70%. All right, 70% chance Chris Paul likely to play in the game. 
you know, I was looking at the box score. The Lakers took 39 shots in the first half. LeBron only took 10 of them. So when you're in a situation where you're taking the team on your back, 10 of the, you know, 25% of the shots, it doesn't cut it. Uh, I don't know if it's he's just physically not able to. I don't know if he figures, you know, let's be candid. LeBron's had numerous times you could make the case that he wasn't going down fighting. You could very much make the case, and tell me if you agree, Jonas, uh, against the Mavs. He did not go down fighting. Yeah, and also there's he's been yeah. accused of that against the uh, the Celtics his, his the exactly. first time around in Cleveland. With, yeah. the, with the famous rumor and such, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea, I'm not saying this was as egregious, but, man, it did not feel like going down fighting at all. And, again, I, I do believe... I, I just don't, you know, I know maybe I'm old school. <laughs> I can't imagine that the Jordan would have went out that way. Or he hasn't gone out. Let's give him credit. But, I mean, maybe this is just glorification of Jordan. But I, I think he's going to put up as many shots as he needs to give the team a chance. And obviously the rest of the Lakers weren't playing all that well. And that's why wasn't LeBron shooting the ball I mean, as much as he could. Because at, at minimum there's a chance that he could get hot because those other guys doesn't seem like there's any chance, but it'll be interesting to see as we, uh, it goes back to LA Fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 